All right, this is our last sermon in our Advent series, Christians All Around the World in the month of December. Remember the season of waiting and expectation leading up to Jesus being born. And today, this is also a season of waiting and expectation for us, to God, for God to do the next thing among us and ultimately to come back. We're looking forward to Jesus coming back and establishing his kingdom. So I'm glad Steve lit our fourth candle. So we're all set. And um, uh, last week we talked about kingdom. Mary Getz preached here and Kiara uh, Thorne preached at Franklin Avenue. And those were two awesome sermons, weren't they? If you heard them, they did um, such a great job. And shout out to our women who we just couldn't do mission without, right? Um, yeah, it's worth a clap. <laughs> um, we are so grateful uh, for the way that God uses them um, in all of the ways that he does to shape us as a movement of people. Um, so we've taken these weeks to talk about things that we value at the Gospel Tabernacle. One of those things was kingdom, which was talked about last week. Um, you've heard us say many times, if you spend any time with us, that the kingdom of God, simply put, is wherever God is ruling and reigning. Wherever he shows up and manifests his rulership, that's where the kingdom of God is. So if he shows up in a church and begins to exert his rulership, then we can identify his kingdom there. If he shows up in a heart and begins to exert his rulership, then we see the kingdom of God there. If he shows up in a city, a neighborhood, and begins to exert his rulership, then we see the kingdom of God there. And because God's kingdom is a righteous kingdom, it turns the wrong things right. It turns disordered things into ordered things, chaotic things into things that align with the perfect and loving will of God. So both Mary and Kiara, in their own ways, preached about how in the coming of Jesus, this kingdom was invading earth. This kingdom has a king, and his name is Jesus, and this king was born into the earth uh, to manifest his kingdom on this earth. Today, we are going to be talking about part of the counterfeit kingdom that also exists on the earth today, and the language that I'm going to use for that is empire. Uh, because one of our values as a family on mission, it's painted on our wall out in the foyer, is margins. We believe that God shows up in the margins. And we believe that Jesus showed up in the margins. And we remember this, particularly at Advent. So we want to remember this reality. You know, the prophets had long anticipated that the kingdom of God would break in on the earth. As a matter of fact, by the time Jesus was born, there was almost this fever pitch expectation among the Jewish people, that God was going to send his king. That had been prophesied over and over again. What wasn't completely expected was that God sent his kingdom without yet ending the previous kingdom. And so now today, there's two kingdoms on the earth, a kingdom of light and a kingdom of darkness. And this creates a perpetual state of conflict until the kingdom comes in fullness and Jesus fully establishes his kingdom. But today, I want us to remember the way that empire works, this counterfeit kingdom, and then where we might expect God's kingdom to show up in the midst of empire. And to do this, we're just going to read one verse together that I'm not sure is up there or not. Oh, it is. We're just going to read one verse together. It's a prophecy from the Old Testament prophet Micah. 
Um, And this was prophesied literally hundreds of years before Jesus' birth. And there's a lot I could say about it, but for today I'm going to let this one verse just suffice. It says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. Let me read that again, this prophetic word, hundreds of years before Jesus was born. But you... Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. Now before we look more at that verse, let me talk for just a few moments about what I mean when I use the word empire. Have you noticed that the story of God's people always plays out in the context of empire, in the shadow of empire, in the scriptures? Um, Think about Moses in the shadow of Egypt and Pharaoh. Think about David and all of his interactions with the Philistines. Think about the biblical heroes, Daniel and Nehemiah and others, and their interactions with the great historical empires, Babylon and Assyria. Think about Rome, which was the occupying empire, the big guy on campus at the time of Jesus. Um, all of these empires have come and gone, but it seems like there's always some empire on the earth trying to exert its control and its influence. In the scriptures, in the book of Revelation, at the end of the New Testament, John, in his vision, describes all of these empires together under the title, Babylon the Great. Every empire that's ever existed can be summed up under this title, Um, Babylon the Great. And here's what the scriptures mean when they talk about empire. They're referring to the world system with all of its economies, institutions, governments, politicians, celebrities, media, rulers, and I could go on and on. Anything that human beings create together in a systemic way, the scriptures refer to as Babylon. And this, this concept of empire universally applies. You should know there is not a government on the face of the earth today or ever in history that has not had some of empire in it. Um, there's not a human system today or ever in human history that has not had some empire infecting it. Um, There's not a political party that doesn't evidence some of what the scriptures describe as empire. Um, Really, there's not a city, there's not a neighborhood, there's not even a denomination, a religious system that isn't also tempted to operate according to the ways of empire. Scripture's bold claim is that these empires, in whatever new incarnation they come Uh, into being are ultimately propped up by human pride and animated by Satan himself. It's him who's in the background. And as such, these empires deal in control and fear. Both are blasphemies against God. Control's a blasphemy against God because it claims that God is not totally in control. It doubts his sovereignty. Fear is a blasphemy against God because it doubts his goodness. It doubts the intentions of his heart towards the human race. But this is what empire deals with, control and fear. 
The book of Revelation tells us that Babylon, the great every empire that's ever existed, its destiny, its destiny is ultimately to be dismantled and judged by God when Jesus comes and sets up his own kingdom in opposition to every empire. How many of you know, when Jesus comes and sets up his kingdom, he's not going to allow other kingdoms to also exist, right? He's going to take over it all and be the sole king, right? And we would never give that kind of power to a human being, would we? Because there's no human being that's good enough that it would be wise to give that kind of power to. But in a perfectly good king, we are willing to submit completely, right? Because he alone is good. Um, But make no mistake, even though empire is doomed, God does love the citizens of empire. Scripture is very clear about this. And as such, he calls us, the people of God, who are citizens of another kingdom, but still living here with all of the world systems, to bless empire, to honor its leaders, to work for its common good, to seek justice for those who have been mistreated by it, and ultimately to love it. And this is why God's kingdom wins, because it has different tools that empire knows nothing about. See, empire reaches for the same predictable tools in every age of human history. Control and fear, violence and anger. But the kingdom of God operates in love. And friends, Satan can do a lot of things, and he can inspire a lot of havoc, but what he cannot do is love. And this is why he loses. We have access to something that the empire has no... I feel like I'm talking about Star Wars right now. It might be appropriate. Maybe I should have incorporated a Star Wars theme. I don't know. Um, We have something that empire has no access to, and it's the supernatural love of God. Now, keeping all of that in mind, think about the prophecy that I just read to you. But you, Bethlehem, though you are small, out of you will come a ruler for me. Out of you, the kingdom of God will come. You know, the Jewish people were occupied by the Roman Empire at the time of Jesus. The whole nation was subservient to empire, to Rome. Um, But the Roman Empire had given the Jewish people some amount of self-governance and sovereignty. And so they organized their government as where it had traditionally been in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem and the province that was in Judea was kind of the center of empire in that land. It's where government operated. It's where decisions were made. It's where important people went for religious or political reasons. Bethlehem is this little podunk town six miles south of Jerusalem. There's not a major, at this time, there was not a major road that went by it. It was a little country town. Uh, That's all it was. Um, not a super notable place. It had some religious significance in Israel's history. But Bethlehem was not the happening place. Jerusalem, six miles north, was the happening place. And yet the prophecy said that it was Bethlehem. Though you are small, though you exist in the shadow of empire, though empire doesn't recognize you, though nothing seemingly important happens in Bethlehem, There, out of there, a ruler will come. It's there that Jesus would be born. As many of you probably know, because Joseph's ancestral family was from Bethlehem, 
When the Roman emperor decreed that there was a census, Joseph and Mary traveled to Bethlehem, and it was in that city. They were from Nazareth, but it was in that city where Jesus was born. It was in this small place that this eternal king, according to the prophecy, was born. This makes me at Christmas time think about Bethlehem and Judea. The center of power, Judea, and the outside kind of forgotten marginal place, Bethlehem. And how God works in these places. How God shows up in these places. So I'm just going to make four quick statements. First of all, I want to say this, that God's kingdom, his righteous rule, which is invading earth today, both comes from Bethlehem and draws us to Bethlehem to see what the kingdom of God looks like. God's kingdom both comes from Bethlehem and it draws us to Bethlehem. It comes from Bethlehem because God chooses the small place, the forgotten place, the place outside of the center of influence to show up and to literally birth his kingdom. And think about how people were drawn there. The shepherds, right, if you're familiar with the Christmas story, the shepherds who have the angels appear to them on the outskirts of Bethlehem, but they end up in that city to worship Jesus. But then, maybe even more astonishingly, these pagan nobles, these pagan students of the stars, wise men as we often call them, or magi, as it's translated in the scriptures, see a star show up that they had never seen before. It tells them that a king is being born in the land of Israel. And so naturally, as people who are part of empire themselves, where do they go to find this king? Jerusalem. And when they get to Jerusalem, they find the king there, Herod. To see what's going on. Herod doesn't know anything that's going on. You can read this in Matthew chapter 2. And they find this prophecy that it's in Bethlehem that the kingdom of God would actually come. So God draws people to the margins. He draws people to Bethlehem to see what his kingdom is like. Friends, this ought to give us a clue about where we should expect God to show up and where we want to go if we want to see him, right? And how many of you want to see Jesus at work in your lifetime? How many of you want to be able to say, I saw with my own eyes the kingdom of God advancing? That was me and Chelsea's prayer in college. Uh, We would often say, God, you can send us anywhere, but we cannot let our lives go by and not see you at work. That's crazy talk. To be part of this religious system where we talk about what you did and what you're going to do, and then our lives go by and we don't see you do anything. We were like, we can't settle for that. I want to see with my own eyes Jesus at work. If you want that too, here's a clue. Go to the Bethlehems. Go to the margins. Go to the forgotten places. The kingdom of God both proceeds from there and draws us to there. Spend time in that forgotten neighborhood. Spend time with that family that no one's paying attention to. Spend time with that coworker who's left out. And spend time with that classmate who's not an insider. Jesus is at work everywhere. Don't get me wrong. He's at work in the center of empire and he's at work in the margins. But we have found, and the scriptures seem to agree, that we find him more when we go to the margins. When we're willing to leave Judea and take a six-mile trip to Bethlehem or a three-minute trip to that neighborhood or a 30-second trip to the other side of the office to that marginalized person, there we see Jesus show up. And friends, I can tell you, if you know anything about our church, 
you know that we're surrounded by this growing network of missional efforts, you know, missional communities, which are essentially house churches and these nonprofits and businesses that are starting out of our church. I don't know, you might watch that and you might think, why are these people so passionate about these kinds of things? Why is outdoor immersion so serious about interacting with veterans and at-risk kids? And why is Aliquip Impact so passionate about mentoring kids in the community? Why is Equip Books so intent on doing economic development in Aliquippa? Why is Poppy and Loom so serious about getting kids connected with the third world global poor? Why is all of this stuff happening? Why are we starting these expressions of church in neighborhoods? I can tell you why, friends. It's not just because we've embarked on some kind of you know, self-serving project. It's because we really believe that we see Jesus in these places. We really believe that we see Jesus in these faces, in these neighborhoods, in these places. The kingdom of God both sends us there and calls us from there because when we get to the forgotten places, we find that Jesus was already at work there. And I can tell you, when you start to see more and more glimpses of Jesus in the margins in these forgotten places in Bethlehem, you want to go back. It doesn't feel as scary. You want to keep showing up. You want to keep taking risks. You'll interact with people who are different than you because what's drawing you is Jesus. Friends, I can never convince you enough, be persuasive enough to get you to just sign up for some kind of mission program. But I believe if you hear Jesus calling you somewhere, you'll do anything for Jesus. You'll follow him to those places. His voice is so beautiful and so good. I wasn't planning on preaching that hard. Here's my second statement. What happens in Judea, the center of power and influence, is important. But the real history is made in Bethlehem. What happens in Jerusalem is important, but the real history is made in Bethlehem. I think this is a perfect reminder on a week like this when empire is raging in our own nation. It's important for us to remember that what happens in the powerful places, what happens in the places where people deal in fear and control, that stuff is important. We can't say it's not important because here's the deal. The more vulnerable you are in empire, the less power you have in empire, the more empire has the ability to hurt you. So for the sake of our vulnerable friends and neighbors, we have to remember them and say, no, what happens in Judea is important. But friends, I'm just telling you that the real history is made in Bethlehem. My, uh, my family has a Christmas tradition that we've done most years. We love Washington, D.C. as a city. There's just so much to do there. So we're going there on the 26th. We've done this a number of years. We'll leave the day after Christmas. And uh, we're traveling there. Don't worry, guys. We're going to work it all out. Repic Family is going to fix everything there. I'll report. I'll get back to you. <laughs> Don't worry. I've been summoned to D.C. We'll take care of it. Um, so we're going to be there and, you know, enjoying the sights and stuff. And I don't know if you've ever been to D.C., it's, it's an incredible experience to kind of be in the shadow of some of the most powerful people and powerful institutions on earth. You, you can't help but reflect on that as you walk around that city. But friends, I'm telling you, this Christmas from the bottom of my heart, I believe that real history is being made in Aliquippa, Pennsylvania. You see, I believe God is doing something real here. And that's not grandiose. I'm not saying we're more bigger than what we are. We're not a big deal at all. We can't even remember to light Advent candles. And, you know, we're really not a big deal. But what I'm saying is that God is doing something 
of eternal significance. A lot of the stuff that makes the news, I'm not sure if it will even be remembered in eternity. But there are stories that are being written here in our community, that are being written in your workplaces, that are being written in our neighborhoods, that will be told over and over and over again for all of eternity. Let's let heaven decide what history is. Amen? A story is being written here. So thirdly, Bethlehem confronts and agitates Judea from a position of smallness. And this is just like the kingdom of God. That from a position of smallness, Bethlehem actually confronts and agitates what's wrong in Judea. It's so interesting, isn't it? That when these magi, these pagan nobility from another empire, come and show up in Jerusalem and meet with King Herod and say, "Where we know from the star that a king has been born. Where can, is this king? Can you point us this king? It's interesting that this makes Herod feel all kinds of insecurity, right? Why? Because empire deals in control. For Herod, it's like, what king? I didn't sign off on a king being born. What are you talking about? But this event, this poor couple giving birth to a child in a podunk town six miles south of Jerusalem somehow agitates the empire. And friends, when empire gets agitated, it actually creates room for God to do new things. God has to break up that system of control and fear. God has to break up that satanic system. And when he does, he can do a new thing. There's so many examples I could point out about this. But what if Martin Luther King Jr. and the founders of the civil rights movement got hung up on their smallness and believed that they couldn't make a difference? So they understood something about the way that the kingdom of God works, that God loves to work from a position of smallness. He loves to work from a position of humility. And movements that are birthed in humility and smallness, maybe even a small movement like ours, has the ability to shake up empire in a way that causes things to move around so that the gospel of the kingdom can move forward more and more. And that's a beautiful thing. This is my last statement. Bethlehem bypasses Jerusalem, making it possible for God's kingdom to be limitless in its manifestations. I love how God does not go and seek the permission of those who claim to have power in empire before he manifests his kingdom on the earth. God is just going to do what he's going to do. Um, He didn't form a political coalition in Jerusalem before he could manifest his kingdom. He just manifested it in a podunk town six miles south, right? He just shows up wherever he's going to show up. And this is so powerful because it means as people of the kingdom, as people who are living under the rule and reign of God, friends, I hope this sounds very liberating to you, you do not need to have permission from empire before you love someone. (laughs) You do not need to have permission from empire before you serve somebody. Empire will never get it right. Sometimes it gets it more right than other times throughout history, but it will never get it completely right. But you do not need its permission, and we do not need permission as the people of God to manifest the kingdom of God on earth through our lives and our service um, because God just shows up in these unexpected places. Um, We're seeing this happen in all kinds of ways, you know, Um, so many of you are serving 
in places where it's not even that permission was given. You just showed up in kind of a forgotten place, a forgotten family, a forgotten relationship, and you began to do ministry there. And God will use that like he used Bethlehem to do something special. Do you know right now, there are people from our church who are involved in conversations that are affecting the the economic future of Beaver County. And here's the beautiful thing about that. Um, They're not doing it from a position of power. They're not doing it because they got elected. You know, they're not doing it. They're doing it from this place of smallness, from places where their names might never be remembered. But a witness is being born in our county, even to some of its leaders, that the people of God are for the well-being of our county and that we will serve this place in Jesus' name, right? Even if they don't know him. It's so powerful uh, what happens. Um, and here's the good news in all of this, just as I close. Do we have a musician? I'm not sure if we do. Thanks, Craig. Appreciate it. Um, here's the beautiful thing in all of this. This is what I want to leave you with. If God uses Bethlehem, if God shows up in the margins, if he does something there and we go and find him there, um, if he's writing history there, if he can even shake up the empire from there, if God bypasses what seems to be important and powerful to manifest his kingdom on the earth, well, this means that there is a radical place for humble and small things in our lives. And I love this. First of all, let me just say a few words about our church. We're growing And I love that. I mean, we didn't have enough seats. I love that. I love what's happening. But the leadership team for the last year spent some time talking about this, and it's really why we launched a second campus. We're like, if God shows up in small places, if he shows up on the margins, he can show up in the big places too. We don't have a problem with that. But we're just saying, if we know that we can find God in the margins... Let's find ways to grow together as a movement, as a church that never devalues what's small, that never devalues what's humble, that never devalues a few people in the neighborhood saying, we want God to do something powerful here, that never devalues a few people hearing from God and saying, I want to serve in this way. Um, I think we have to be intent on protecting the notion that God can show up in places like Bethlehem and not get enamored with the impressiveness of empire because this can happen in churches too. Um, We want to keep a place in our heart for Bethlehem and say Jesus can show up even in these places. So much a part of our heart here. Um, But also this, I would ask you, what seems small or unassuming, or humble in your own life. It's easy to get enamored by empire. It's it's easy for Bethlehem to look at Judea and say, we're not a big deal. But history's being written in Bethlehem. But God's kingdom is actually coming in Bethlehem. See, God defines things completely differently. So I would ask, well then, what is small in your life? What do you have a tendency to look at in other people and think, this isn't a big deal? Like, This gift I have, it's not a big deal. God's doing something more in someone else. This home that I have is modest. Other people have nicer homes, bigger homes. 
Um, people have these abilities that I don't have. They have these jobs that I don't have. See, this is the thing with empire. It values bigness. And as a result of that, it's always this comparison game. But the kingdom of God shows up in these really unlikely places and it just breaks all of that off. And it says, even if I'm in the margins, God can use me. Even if my gift is small, God can do something powerful here. Even if what I have to offer doesn't seem like that much, God can do something. And you don't need permission from empire to do something powerful in the kingdom of God. And then this, that if you are born and bred in the margins, like (laughs) if you're sitting here today and you think, no, I didn't travel to the margins to see Jesus. I was like born up in there, right? If that's where you're from, if you were born in forgotten places, if you were born in poverty, if you were born in a place that people forgot about, well, I want to tell you, friends, this kingdom I'm preaching this morning, it's for you. This kingdom is for you. God is actually far nearer to you than you might realize. And, you know, and we just speak to you as a church, as a gospel tab family today. We just say, if you feel marginalized, if you feel like you didn't even even choose it, but I've lived my life in the market, we just say, it's actually an advantage in terms of receiving the kingdom of God. And we declare that God is close to you and not far, that his presence is near to you, and that he will bypass the systems of empire to be in relationship with you because he loves you. Our God doesn't forget Bethlehem. Amen. Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come one for me who will rule over my people of Israel. Just as we close today, um, I'd like you to just close your eyes right now. I just have some questions um, from what Joel was talking about. Um, And just thinking, where is God calling you today? Holy Spirit, we ask that you would speak. Your sons and daughters are listening. Open up our ears. Allow us to hear your voice, your still small voice. Show us where you want to use us. Show us where you want us to be your hands and your feet. So I just pray, um, as God is surfacing, it might be a person, it might be a place. Like Joel said, it might be that person in your workplace who's kind of that left out person. It might be your neighborhood. It might be that family in your neighborhood that just doesn't fit in. Maybe it's a child in your kid's school that's that left out family that left-behind place. Holy Spirit, show us. Give us pictures. Now, Father, I would ask, we need your game plan. We need your words and your wisdom. Father, I pray that you would give each person, as you've surfaced where you want us to minister, now give us a creative way to be able to do that. Maybe it's a phone call. Maybe it's a text. Maybe it's walking across um, to the other side of the workplace. Maybe it's walking around the neighborhood. Maybe it's going into Aliquippa. Maybe it's going into um, 
an old folks home or a place where there's a lot of people who've been left behind and just servicing, servicing them and ministering in those places. Father, we need you to show us what you want us to do. So Holy Spirit, right now, speak. Father, I pray <clears throat> that you would allow each of us to look beyond ourselves, even beyond our own families. Father, during this season, in these next couple days, I pray that you would enable us to carve out time to be able to accomplish your purposes and your plans. I thank you that we get the opportunity to show love to others. Father, I pray that you would enable us to love with your love. Fill us with your compassion for people. Father, on our own, we do not have that kind of love. We don't have your compassion. But Father, you say in your word that your compassion is a gut-wrenching compassion. And so I pray that you would well that up within us. And Father, we pray that as each of us go out from this place, I pray that we would not dismiss this. I pray that you would burn this into our hearts. Give us a holy conviction to be able to see through the plans and the purposes and the people that you would have us to minister to. I stand here in awe to think of as each of us go out and do this this week of all of the people that will feel the arms of the Father around them. And Father, we just give them all to you. We lay ourselves down at your feet and we just thank you that you give us the opportunity to serve in this way. And so, Father, I pray that you would be with each of us as we go forth from this place, that you would minister to us, that you would show us, that you would reveal to us. And Father, if we are those people who feel like we are that forgotten, the left out, the left behind, I pray an overwhelming measure of your love, and I pray that they too would know that they have mission and that they are not... Um, they're not um, in a place where they themselves cannot minister. So I pray for each of us to be able to know the radical calling that you've given us. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to serve you, that we have to be a part of the margins, and we have to break the empire um, and to be able to let your kingdom be able to break through during this Christmas season. We thank you and we praise you. Father, I pray that we would go forth from this place blessed because we came and we thank you for the opportunity that you've given us. We pray all of this in your name. Amen. Amen.